Hi everybody, and welcome to the summer reading edition of the Ticker Podcast. Ticker Podcast crew is taking a poolside break from our regular relentless schedule. Summer's here, so let's lie back, close our eyes, and listen to a hand-picked selection of audio articles from IR Magazine's Summer Edition. First up, a spine-chilling tale of horror. When a company cuts a dividend or sees its capitalization dip, that company might be dumped from multiple indexes. This multiplier effect has sometimes been called the vortex of doom. Zombie ETFs are running amok. A ragtag group of plucky and resourceful IROs gets active. Then, our summer 2017 edition cover story. Despite starting from an almost equal number of men and women working in investor relations overall, the IR Magazine Global IR Practice Reports 2016 shows that disproportionately more men make it into the top jobs. Garnet Roach finds out why in Glass Breakers. And finally, the immortal Ian Williams pens a nuanced and poignant portrait of a determined woman on her journey from accountancy to IR superstar. I sometimes travel alone, but we like for management to meet investors at least quarterly to see the whites of their eyes. Should be some easy listening. And something for everyone. So let's settle in and listen as Laurie Havelock reads Elizabeth Judd's The Rise of Passive Investing. Early in 2018, Warren Buffett will learn whether his famous $1 million bet that index investing will outdo active management pays off. With only months to go on the decade-long wager, Buffett's designated index fund is far ahead of protégé partners, which invested in positions in a range of different hedge funds. Quote, It looks like Buffett will win, and passive investing over a period of time will outperform active hedge fund managers, says Rachel Carroll, Global Head of Investor Relations at Edison Group in London. It's very hard for active fund managers to justify their fees when they're underperforming, and so passive investing continues its meteoric climb. A February 2017 report put out by Moody's Investors Service finds that by 2024, the money in index and exchanges traded funds, or ETFs, will outstrip active investments in the US. According to Moody's, passive investments currently account for 28.5% of US assets under management. Tim Quast, president of Modern IR, a Denver, Colorado-based data analytics company, tracks the rise of passive investment. He notes that today there is roughly $9 trillion in active funds versus $6 trillion in passive. Given that active funds are shrinking by roughly $200 billion a year and passive growing by roughly $400 billion to $500 billion a year, quote, you can see that passive is going to displace active very soon, he says. For IR professionals, the inexorable rise of passive investing could be a game-changer. Quote, the IR job has always been about telling the story to the buy side and the sell side, says Quast. The problem is that money flooding into the markets doesn't pay any attention to the story. It doesn't tune into earning calls and it doesn't use sell-side research. Carroll points out that companies benefiting from inclusion in indexes and ETFs should understand how passive investments work because they can have what she calls a multiplier effect. 
Quote, for public companies, being included in an index is a great on the upside, she explains. You get a spike in your trading volumes and in your share price, but it's all more pronounced on the way down. When a company cuts a dividend or sees its capitalization dip, that company might be dumped from multiple indexes, and the IRO has no recourse to presenting its fundamental story to investors with which it has long-standing relationships. Quote, this multiplier effect has sometimes been called the vortex of doom, says Carroll. Patrick Gallagher, senior advisor at Dixon Eaton in Cleveland, Ohio, notes that the toll can be particularly dire for small caps. With fewer IPOs, index funds have trouble finding enough small cap stocks to hold, while the assets of small cap index funds have almost quadrupled since 2007. Quote, a lot of these small cap index ETFs want to own small companies and they may be squeezing out other small cap investors because they're increasing the volatility and making it more expensive to buy these stocks, he says. Although the penetration of passive investing is most pronounced in the US, the trend is a global one. Moody's estimates that between 5% and 15% of assets outside the US are passive and predicts that passive investing will grow internationally as markets mature and overseas investors become more aware of non-active investment products. Gallagher suggests that the Trump administration could potentially upset the apple cart when it comes to the growth trajectory of passive investments. That's because, with low interest rates and a stable economy, the dispersion among US stocks has been fairly low, an ideal environment for index funds. Quote, the dramatic changes the Trump administration is promising and starting to implement make for more winners and losers, and that makes for more dispersion among different stocks, Gallagher points out. Such an environment might just allow active managers to shine again. That said, others believe the steady climb of passive funds is unlikely to be reversed because it is a function of market structure. Quast says that the regulatory rule that investors must trade between the best bid and offer prices has led to stocks trading at the average price roughly 80% of the time. And so, he says, quote, you end up with a marketplace that is riven with average prices. Because indexes and ETFs track the averages while stock pickers look for outliers, market structure is dictating that stocks mean reverts and passive investors usually outperform active ones. As long as current market rules are in place, Quast argues that IROs, quote, can't remain storytellers, but must instead become data analysts, informing management of what particular data means and devising a strategy accordingly. But how can an IRO add value in a passive investing world? Quote, you track trends and use those trends to your advantage, says Quast. If asset allocation is rising and your shares are rising too, start calling on growth money, surf the wave. For Quast, IROs will be no less important in a world of high-frequency trading, ETFs and indexes, but they will need to carve out a new niche for themselves. Quote, stop trying to do the same old thing you used to do until you disappear, he concludes. You have to adapt to the world and the market that we have. Five steps to take in an indexed world. Quote, as an IRO, you're operating with one hand behind your back when it comes to coping with an ever-growing population of index and exchange-traded fund investors, says Rachel Carroll, global head of IR at Edison Group. On the other hand, there are plenty of strategies IR professionals can employ in this environment. 1. Understand ETFs and indices. Quote, companies are trying to figure out how to get onto the indices, how the S&P and the FTSE work, says Stephen Tu, Vice President and Senior Analyst at Moody's. Understanding the screening methodology for a given index is critical, as it lets IR professionals know when changes in their company's performance might make a company eligible for inclusion or vulnerable to being dropped. 2. Provide management and the board with clarity on stock volatility and price spikes. 
Even though index fund and ETF managers cannot buy or sell based on the company's fundamentals, reaching out to them makes sense. Doing so lets IROs communicate more effectively with their CEO, CFO and directors about what's moving their company's share price and contributing to volatility. 3. Communicate with passive funds on governance. Chu argues that as passive investors don't have the ability to sell, some might take an even keener interest in governance. Quote, passive investors are stuck with the stock, even if they don't like the way the company is managed, he says. In that sense, there's a lot more need for passive funds to have a dialogue with management and IR. 4. Provide detailed explanations in annual reports, proxies and other key investor documents. Gone are the days when IROs can assume all investors know a company's story. With more indexes and ETFs on the shareholder roster, it makes sense to provide more comprehensive information to shareholders. 5. Check all third-party data about your company. Carroll says IROs should carefully monitor information presented on key financial platforms to ensure consensus numbers and other metrics are accurate. Quote, you want your numbers to be right so they can be adequately screened for, she says. A glossary of passive investing terms. Smart beta investing. Investment strategies that use alternative index construction rules to come up with a customised index. Smart beta strategies resemble traditional index strategies in that the rules are set and transparent. Multi-factor funds. A type of smart beta investing in which several different factors are combined in assembling a customised portfolio of stocks. SPDR exchange-traded funds, also known as spiders. A type of ETF originated by State Street Global Advisors in 1993. Spider ETFs are made up of a basket of S&P 500 stocks. Robo-advisors. Advisors that work for lower fees by providing digital financial advice or portfolio management with a minimum of human intervention. Q&A with Volition RX's IRO. For Scott Powell, Executive Vice President and Head of Investor Relations at Volition RX, a cancer diagnostics company, finding ways to communicate with passive investors is a worthwhile, if difficult to achieve, goal. IR Magazine asks, do you know what percentage of your investors are passive versus active? If so, has the number grown recently? Institutional investors own approximately 25% of our outstanding shares, with the majority, about 23% of that 25%, being active investors that I regularly speak to. According to 13F filings as of December 31st, 2016, Vanguard just took close to a 1% ownership stake in our company. It's funny, because I've never spoken to anyone at Vanguard, and nor has our CEO. IR Magazine asks, how is the rise of passive investing changing your IR messaging? There have been several occasions during the past two years on options expiration days and index rebalancing dates when we experienced increased volatility in our share price. I think it's important to know that this is a trend and to communicate back to management and the board that an increase in passive investors could potentially mean greater volatility and greater liquidity. IR Magazine asks, can you think of any examples of how passive investment might have an impact on your company's stock price? A lot of passive investors will vote with ISS, but you never know. They could become important if there's an activist campaign or an extraordinary meeting of shareholders. In those instances, passive investors could have a significant impact on the direction in which a company goes. IR Magazine asks, how else is passive investing impacting the life of an IR professional? I think one of the major concerns for me as an IR professional is that if passive investing continues as a trend, it might make it more difficult for companies to access the capital markets and raise money. 
Let's say you're contemplating a secondary offering. If you're having a dialogue with investors regularly, it's much easier for the investment bank to reach out and say, this company is raising X million dollars. Would you like to participate in this next round? A lot of companies are doing confidentially marketed public offerings, or CMPOs, in which they would go out to investors at the end of the day and close the order loop by the next morning. It would, for instance, be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to go to some of these index funds and ask them if they'd be interested in participating in a CMPO. Wah, scary, eh, kids? Lucky our plucky IROs prevailed in the end. Let's now shift in our chaise lounges and imagine a world where men and women are different but equal. Here's Glassbreakers by Garnet Roach. According to research from IR magazine, the near-even male-to-female split across IR as a whole is not reflected in the number of women making it into the top jobs. Garnet Roach investigates. Globally, two-thirds of the top jobs in investor relations are held by men. At FTSE 100 companies, 70% of heads of IR are male. Among the top 100 firms in the S&P 500, almost four-fifths of senior IR positions are occupied by men. In Canada, 70% of IR chiefs at S&P or TSX 60 firms are men, and on Germany's DAX, men run the IR departments at 26 of the country's 30 largest companies. No matter how you split the numbers, globally, regionally, or by market cap size, the findings are the same. Despite starting from an almost equal number of men and women working in investor relations overall, the IR magazine Global IR Practice Reports 2016, which was published in January 2017, shows that disproportionately more men make it into the top jobs. These figures might make stark reading for IROs working in what, at first glance around an IR conference, appears to be an industry where the jobs are shared out almost equally. But for those with an active interest, the numbers come as no surprise. In fact, Quote, it didn't surprise me, but it does continue to disappoint me, is the prevailing response. This dropping off of women as seniority increases is something Pavita Cooper, founder and director of career insight firm More Difference, and steering committee member at the 30% Club, says is common across many professions, even though she terms, quote, pink functions, like HR or communications, which tend to attract more women. Quote, often you'll see a huge prevalence of women, but when you look at the very top jobs, they're filled by men, she says. Even in general financial services, hardly famed for gender equality, the issue isn't about attracting sufficient women. Quote, it's not an issue about how you get young women into organisations at the entry level. There are plenty of women, observes Cooper, but what you see is a gradual drop-off as women progress through the levels. Of course, there are many reasons behind this, and it's an issue that Sue Scholes, board director and former chair of the UK's IR Society, says she could talk about all day. But some of the key factors include a lack of female role models in senior positions, certain corporate cultures and the prejudices, both subconscious and realised, of those already in senior roles and those recruiting to fill heads of investor relations positions. What it isn't about, though, is, quote, women going off to have children. Women often get blamed for leaving, notes Cooper. There are assumptions made by men and women that women aren't ambitious enough, they aren't confident enough, they have kids, and all of that is absolute rubbish. Women often leave simply because they don't feel included, because the organisation doesn't feel like the kind of place where they can make it to the top. 
And often that assumption is correct. If you look at the way in which men and women are assessed at entry level, Cooper says it's pretty equal. But as you climb the corporate ladder, you begin to see, quote, mirror image recruitment creeping in. Those at the top are often looking for, quote, people who have already had a similar career track to them, who have had similar sets of experiences, Cooper adds. People who behave in a similar way or have a similar demeanour to the people who are already at the top. And, the majority of the time, those people already at the top are men. Adds to that fact that IR is a travel-intensive profession that essentially requires a successful IRO to become a jack-of-all-trades, and the perception that a woman might not succeed in the top job only increases. During research for the IR Society's upcoming Diploma in IR, a higher level qualification than the existing certificate in IR, Scholes explains that they looked at what recruiters felt was needed to make it to the top. Quote, technical skills are only one part of what gets you into senior management, she says. It's also about gravitas. The problem is how people might define that. Quote, are they defining a person with gravitas as someone who is male, white, probably in his 40s with a touch of grey hair? Sometimes the way women present themselves as themselves is not the identical solution of what a senior manager might look like, and therefore they're seen as a risk. Scholes also points out that, of course, the issue of diversity isn't as simple as male and female. For example, she notes that investor relations is a very white group. Whichever angle you look at the diversity issue from, however, adding a mix to senior positions helps to break that mould. Once you've had someone in the position who isn't a white man of a certain age, it becomes easier to do it again. The box-ticking approach doesn't cut it here. Quote, all the research shows that women need to feel like they're more than a tiny minority, explains Cooper, which is why just sticking one woman on an executive committee doesn't work. It doesn't normalise it. Quote, the women underneath look up and think, but she's superwoman. I can't do that. I don't want that life. You've got to have three, four, five or six or 50% of women at the top. And that's what companies like Diageo and Cisco are doing. Marilyn Mora, head of global IR at tech giant Cisco, says the firm has a focus on equality and diversity across several functions, not just in the boardroom. Quote, Cisco has long been a supporter of diversity across gender, ethnicity, orientation, background and culture, she says. It is fundamental to how we run our company. As such, she says, around 36% of the company's leadership team is now female, and a third of its board is made up of women, something that has been driven by a concerted effort from their CEO, Chuck Robbins, who is a big champion of women in leadership roles. And interestingly, Mora was in fact surprised by IR Magazine's research findings, noting that, quote, across my peers in the technology landscape, I see a more balanced representation. It's true that Mora, now entering her 10th year as head of IR at the San Jose headquartered company, is just the latest in a line of women in IR to have flourished at Cisco. Blair Christie rose from the head of investor relations and corporate communications to the C-suite as CMO, only to be succeeded by another woman, Karen Walker. The firm also boasts a woman in the CFO role, in the form of Kelly Kramer, who joined the firm in 2012 after 20 years at GE, where she held a number of senior finance positions. A similar situation can be seen at Diageo, where the women who make up almost 40% of the executive committee represent a wide range of functions that include the CFO, general counsel, the CMO and the president of the company's North America business. Quote, these women inspire me and all the other women and men within Diageo to be bold in our career choices and push ourselves forward, says Sharon Rolston, head of IR at the global drinks giant responsible for Smirnoff Vodka and Captain Morgan Rum. 
With more than 20 years finance experience, Ralston has become used to working in a male-dominated environment, but notes that things are changing. At Diageo, a company that is not only a member of the 30% Club, but also one of the only 16 FTSE 100 members, as of October 2016, to have met or exceeded the goal of 30% female board representation, Ralston sits in the finance leadership group as well as the leading the IR team. Quote, the strong level of female representation among this group is a great signal to our female talent in the function and across the business, she says. When it comes to these functions, Ralston also notes that, like Cisco, Diageo has been an exception to a common rule, with different women holding senior finance and IR roles for a number of years. Catherine Mickles took over from Deirdre Marlin as CFO in 2015, while Marlin moved to revive the company's North America business, while Ralston herself succeeds Catherine James, who headed up the IR department for 18 years before stepping down in 2016. Quote, more women can make it, and are making it, to these top IR and finance roles, and in doing so they'll continue to inspire others to choose this career path, says Rolston. But these achievements aren't just something that happened because Cisco and Diageo are nice places to work for women. At Cisco, the company has a clear focus on encouraging diversity. The firm signed the Equal Pay Pledge last year, and at this year's annual Connected Women Executive Roundtable, it launched the Multiplier Effect Pledge, which Morris says is to, quote, encourage tech leaders to sponsor a diverse individual to enable his or her development to the next level in his or her career. The pledge itself was initiated by Yvette Canouf. Senior Vice President and General Manager of Cisco's service provider business and a member of the leadership team. The firm has other initiatives in place, including Cisco Glassbreakers, Cisco Jump and Dare, as well as executive shadowing opportunities, all designed to promote, mentor and retain diversity. At Diageo, the firm aims to have its senior leadership team 35% female by 2020. It also focuses on all levels within the company, so graduate and mid-career development programmes are not forgotten. It has policies in place to foster inclusion and diversity, including maternity and paternity policies, and flexible working opportunities, including a selection of part-time jobs, job shares, and the ability to work remotely or compressed hours, and its support networks that promote diversity, such as spirited women, says Ralston. But what's the problem with all this? Depending on how you look at diversity, or where you stand on the issue perhaps, you might simply feel that investor relations is, after all, in better shape than many other finance functions, at least when it comes to the overall gender split. So, what's the big deal? Even if you look at this only from the point of view of getting the best candidate into every role, however, there's still a problem. Quote, if we were to continue in the state of having a 50-50 male-female split in the profession as a rule, but the majority of the senior roles being taken by men, then I would speculate that some of the best candidates are being overlooked for the job, points out Scholes. Mora agrees. If women aren't equally represented, the result is that we, quote, are stifling key talent that can contribute materially to the growth and success of the company, she says. So, what could other companies be doing to emulate their diversity successes at Cisco and Diageo? Quote, companies need to encourage women to be bold and push themselves forward, says Ralston. Sometimes you need a nudge in the right direction. It doesn't always come naturally. One suggestion is mentoring, something both firms have a focus on. Quote, at Diageo, for example, we have recently implemented a mentoring program for our women in finance to inspire and develop a future pipeline of female leaders for the function, Ralston adds. Mora emphasises this point. It's important that women collaborate with and mentor other women to continue the evolution that, while slow, is happening. Quote, don't let fear get in your way, she says. Sometimes women feel intimidated in the workplace or lack the confidence to push through boundaries. It's important we expect more and ask for more. 
This advice is echoed by both Cooper and Scholes, who explain that women especially tend to assume that hard work is enough. But, says Scholes, quote, sometimes you need to make sure your boss knows you are looking for that next step up. Making it to the top. Marilyn Mora, head of Global IR at Cisco, Sharon Rolston, head of IR at Diageo, Sue Scholes, board director at the UK's IR Society, and Pavita Cooper, founder and director of career insight firm More Difference and steering committee member at the 30% Club, offer some tips for women looking to make it into those heads of IR roles and beyond. 1. Make your intentions known. Quote, don't be afraid to reach out to the current leader to seek a conversation on what it would take for you to grow further in your IR career, advises Rolston. This is something any boss would appreciate, agrees Cooper. Quote, tell him or her that this is what I want, she says. Then, together, you can set maybe three goals over six months that will help you gravitate towards that. Two, don't rest on your work. Quote, women often think, surely all I have to do is work really hard and that's enough, notes Cooper. But it isn't enough. Sometimes you have to make your achievements known. Quote, if there is a classic mistake many women make, it is that they are so good at getting the job done that they forget to tell people that they're doing the job, says Scholes. And many men are far better at that than women are. Three, don't forget to network. Quote, often when you talk to women about networking, they see it as a bad thing, a dirty word, something men do that women don't have time for on top of everything else, says Cooper. In IR in particular, however, networking is critical. Ralston and Mora echo this sentiment. Quote, I encourage women to network with other professional women, to be a role model and to connect with others as much as possible, says Mora, while Ralston notes that this is something she continues to do herself. Quote, I'm always keen to network externally with other IR teams and leaders to understand how they built their careers and what tips I could take on board, she says. On the money. When it comes to IR pay, the gender gap is alive and well. While all heads of investor relations take home a pay packet in the same global median range of between $150,000 and $199,000, almost half of male IR chiefs take home more than this, according to the IR magazine Global Salary Reports 2016. This compares with just 36% of female IR bosses earning more than $200,000 a year. Quote, furthermore, 22% of male IR heads earn $250,000 and above, while only 13% of women manage the same, write the report authors. Globally, Europe is the only region where, though not equal, median male and female pay falls into the same bracket. Among both North American and Asian heads of investor relations, median pay is one bracket higher for men than for women. And now, Thinking Outside the Box by Ian Williams. Carol Duramo, Vice President of IR and Corporate Communications at Jack in the Box, won three of this year's IR Magazine Awards, and her ratings from the investment sector were way ahead of the field. Jack in the Box jumped 62 places to take third place in the overall rankings of IR performance in the US across all sectors and cap sizes. The firm won the award for best overall IR at a smaller mid-cap and best IR in the consumer discretionary sector, while DeRamo shared the best small and mid-cap IR gong with Judy Tracy of Wright Medical. Positive comments about DeRamo abound in the investor community. 
Chris O'Cull of KeyBank Capital Markets volunteers, quote, Carol responds quickly, thoroughly and accurately to requests, as she knows the company and the industry well. She never goes into hiding if, say, earnings are soft, and she's very comfortable about going on the road, whatever the news. She is one of the few people in IR I have no worries about hosting with experienced portfolio managers, as a really important ingredient in her success is that she has a seat at the table with the executives, and analysts and investors know that. Before Jack in the Box, DeRamo spent 14 years with Applebee's, the first seven in financial planning and reporting. She began her accounting career at Deloitte, where she became a CPA. Quote, A lot of people think accountants don't have much personality, DeRamo says, but of course IROs do. And she adds, It was very satisfying to see the results in 2017. We'd won in 2011, but were a small cap back then. Now we've grown to mid-cap and the recognition is even more gratifying, because many mid-cap companies have more staff. DiRamo had her IR baptismal broiling at Jack in the Box within months of starting in summer 2008. Quote, I'd already had a trip planned to Europe in the fall and, while I was there, out of the blue came a bizarre mini-tender from a company we'd never spoken to. So, as many IR folks can appreciate, instead of vacationing, I was coordinating calls in California from Prague at 1am, though the tender went away as suddenly as it came, DiRamo recalls. Since joining Jack in the Box... DeRamo has seen the company change its ticker to Jack, and analyst coverage has grown to 17 sell-siders from the initial eight. Quote, when I began, I targeted some of the more respected analysts for the industry, she says, but I firmly believe not all coverage is equal. You feel some of them are just going through the motions, because they don't even bother to read the information in our public filings or listen to what we say at webcast conferences. It is a small team. DeRamo handles all contacts with Wall Street and is supported by her assistant Linda Wallace, along with Brian Luscombe, Vice President of Corporate Communications and Government Affairs. Lean and effective IR depends on support from other departments, quote, especially financial reporting, analysts and planning, says DeRamo. And then there's just being attuned to what's happening with both brands, such as touring restaurants with our Quadoba president to understand what's happening in its 700 restaurants. Jack in the Box is in 22 states, with more than 2,200 restaurants, but 70% of them are in California and Texas, so a lot of people on the East Coast have never been in one. That means DeRamo often has to introduce analysts to the quirks of the business. Quote, tacos are our biggest selling item, she points out, referring to the signature deep-fried speciality that Jack in the Box sells half a billion of annually. She also has to demonstrate how the firm is, quote, quirky cult-like brand on the West Coast, bringing back college memories for some analysts of going out at three in the morning. The restaurants are open 24 hours, and you can get anything on the menu at any time. Egg rolls, teriyaki bowls and tacos, as well as the usual fries and shakes, breakfast at 5pm or a burger at 5am. At time of writing, the stock had 10 buys, 6 neutrals and 1 sell, but DeRamo does not treat sell as a four-letter insult. Quote, You know, some management people won't travel with an analyst who is a neutral, let alone a sell, she observes, but I see it as an opportunity. About five years ago, there was a well-respected analyst who had a sell on us, and I went to the CFO and said I'd really like to travel with this analyst, who had missed our analyst day, and I thought he'd miss some of the story. Despite some reluctance, in the end, I took the COO. It was a great trip, and two days later, we had a double upgrade from sell to buy. She notes similar broad-mindedness when tracking holders or meeting hedge funds, but notes a fairly stable shareholder list. One reason is that since 2012, the stock price has pretty much quadrupled. Quote, but we know not everyone will stay for the ride. 
and she's also persistent in her targeting. Some people will conclude, I've met the investor a lot of times and it didn't buy my stock, so why waste my time? But I don't buy that, she says. I persist with a good firm over the years because we've had a good run, and the minute there is a pullback, that might well be the investor that will jump in to support your stock. I sometimes travel alone, but we like for management to meet investors at least quarterly to see the whites of their eyes. Being on the West Coast can result in some short nights during earnings season. We release at night and have the earnings call in the morning, but we know the cycle. There's a flurry of notes up until midnight Pacific, but some publish at 3am or 4am, a tight window for a nap. Of course, location is everything in the restaurant trade. Quote, it's hard when we have no jack-in-the-boxes on the East Coast and few Cordoba locations in the New York area, DeRamo concedes. Asked whether analysts double as food critics, she replies, quote, some will go and check out what's happening, but some wouldn't be seen dead eating fast food. Several track social media mentions. We don't use social media in IR, but they track what our marketing teams post to social media, as well as customer reviews or searches on various sites. There are a lot of sources for information that don't involve going to a restaurant. The social media obsession puzzles her. Quote, some companies have people tweeting during earnings calls, and I can't see why, she says. Snippets of partial information can easily be taken out of context. I can hardly get analysts to read a press release, so I'm not a fan of tweeting in IR. And it is essential to put information in context. Quote, in February, we were one of the first companies to talk about the effect of the delayed tax refunds of $63 billion compared with the previous year. That's a lot of discretionary spending, and it was lower-income consumers, our customers, who were affected, DeRamo explains. Jack-in-the-box customers don't care about the stock market going up. They care about how much money they have in their pocket today and whether their jobs are safe. This much-lauded IRO's post is clearly secure. At time of writing, she was celebrating promotion from vice president to chief IR and corporate communications officer, in part to recognise the IR magazine awards. Lenny Commer, Jack in the Box's chairman and CEO, refers to, quote, her unique perspective, out-of-the-box thinking and unwavering passion for our business that makes her one of the most respected executives at the table. I hope you've enjoyed these IR stories from IR Magazine's Summer Edition. A selection of audio articles from each print edition is available to IR Magazine Pro subscribers. Next week, news from Neary. Thanks for listening. In suburban Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.